Welcome to the Tuesday Morning Blitz at the quarter turn of the 2022 NFL season. And my good friend Kale Clinton and I are here to break the whole thing down. Welcome back in for another week's episode. Kale, it was a week where both of us got very ill and maybe watched enough football, maybe didn't. But we're still here to deliver you our takes in maybe a bit of a subdued manner, maybe a little calmer than usual. How are you feeling today? It's that, that time of year, you know, you really feel is. a little under the weather, you make yourself a bit of tea, you listen to the wind whistle outside, leaves are starting to fall. Oh, listen, for all the <laughs> for all the negatives that come with it, wonderful time of year. I love you, man. You just turn, you turn a complete negative out of being sick into ASMR. Great job. I, I'm... Jackson, you've devastated me telling me that we are uh, at least almost, there's no evenness in this schedule anymore, but we are basically one quarter of the way through the season. Uh, I've learned nothing. Uh, (laughs) I've learned that the Kansas City Chiefs are still good. uh, That, yeah, it's really it. Uh, And the Lions are fine. That's all. Yeah. Well, just to, I mean, I think this week was sort of a get-right week for the NFL. You knew it was coming. I think that despite the fact that weather sort of mucked up a lot of these games that we thought were going to be the best of the week, the teams that we thought were good still appear to be actually good. So why don't we just kind of take it apart? You go whichever direction you like. We have the Chiefs taking home the win over the Bucks. We have the Bills' comeback win from a 17-point deficit in Baltimore in the rain. And then we have Philly coming back from 14 points down to take control of that Jacksonville game. Kale, most impressive of the three performances. I'm going to talk about Buffalo in a second, so I am going to save that. I will acknowledge that they did look impressive. I want to talk Philly, but there is something so unexpected about how good the Jaguars are that I don't feel right to talk about it. The Kansas City Chiefs is great, man. Like, they really, really look good. It is, you know, these guys have not missed a beat. Mahomes is still doing incredible, incredible things. Uh, you know, taking down a Bucks team that is, you know, bona fide really, really good. A defense, especially, that has been, you know, pretty widely celebrated as one of the better units in the league. A team that in the first three games has allowed three, 10, and 12 points, or sorry, three, 12, uh, three, 10, and 14 points, respectively, uh, to get 41 hung on their head. Is uh is a pretty staggering uh reversion from the norm for them. It is the Chiefs' offense looks absolutely electric. The defense doesn't look too bad either. You know they currently with our adjustments are sitting 
uh, from Football Outsiders sitting around 15th in the league in total defensive DVOA. Uh, really good against the run. I think they haven't been uh, in recent years. Uh, and you kind of have to pass to keep up with this group anyway. Secondary is a little bit weaker, but, like, man, everything else in this team is awesome. And we'll see how they progress for the rest of the year. They have had a really easy schedule. Football Outsiders ranks them as the 28th best offensive schedule uh, in the league. But, man, they're firing on all cylinders. Like, they are – Tyreek Hill is, has won the proverbial breakup through four weeks in the sense that, you know, outside of Thursday night's really, you know, tough game to watch visually with everything that happened to it. And, you know, just everything going on there in general. But, like, through the first three weeks, it really looked like the relationship between two and Tyreek Hill, like Hill was popping off. Hill gets to speak more in the media. Hill's really praising his quarterback, Kansas City, while still having Patrick Mahomes, Travis Kelsey, and Andy Reid, like, all fantastic and still looked good. Like, they were still clearly missing that wide receiver one. Uh, last night, at least in my mind, it was just a testament that they don't fully need that wide receiver one. Before I, I'm I'm going on a little bit long about the Kansas City, but let me just get through this first. If they got passes, they, they targeted one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten guys in the passing game. They were getting Mark as well, the scantling balls. Uh, they're getting Juju balls. Sky Moore's starting to get a little bit more involved. He's not catching everything, which is its own problem, but you know, you're getting touchdowns right now in the passing game to Jody Fortson as yeah, like Jody Fortson as as you know, it's it's one it's one passing touchdown, but like Pat Mahomes is making anything work, and that's the magic of it. Like it last year was probably one of the years he should have been in the MVP conversation wasn't he's getting into the LeBron and Giannis territory if we're going with NBA parallels uh, Shohei or Mike Trout if you're going in baseball that like these guys are just perennially the best and at some point they have to do something super heroic to transcend just their normal elite level of play uh, to even be considered for MVP uh, Mahomes, given the adversity, should easily be early MVP combo. I love it. We're going all the way back on conversations we had last week where we said Lamar was easily the MVP. It's It just goes to show you, you everything changes in a heartbeat. And Mahomes, by the way. Well, well, well look, Lamar's still up there. Josh Allen's yeah, still Yeah, 100%. There. It's like, not, like it's, this it's is a quarter way through the season. Race at this point. But Mahomes should absolutely be one of the – top five names i think there's four names i think if if someone not named mahomes lamar allen or jalen hurts doesn't win the mvp this year i'm gonna be fairly shocked i think that's fair to say at this early stage of the season yeah it's i i I did forget about hurts admittedly uh just because of the way he's been playing and i shouldn't uh under under acknowledge or under report that, but Mahomes is. I mean, we don't see him in a tier with those other three guys yet. I don't think so. I think it's fair 
to not immediately think of his name, but when you are the quarterback of the only undefeated team through a quarter of the season and you played well above any level that anyone thought you were capable of, I think it's fair to definitely be in the conversation. Um, but just to close the book on Mahomes, I mean, he didn't throw for 300 yards. He did, he did throw an interception that was late enough in the game to not matter, but you know, it wasn't a great throw Up to do like everything he did and post a 90 and a half QBR with an interception and not throwing for 300 yards is just a testament to like how situationally great he is, how much of a weapon in the red zone he is. I know we haven't even touched on the ridiculousness of the spin move and the little touch pass he threw over the top. It, like he's just, he does things that nobody else does. And I know we get sick of talking about it. And I know the joke on Twitter is always, you know, imagine the reaction of Patrick Mahomes did this, but there are legitimately things he can do that nobody else can. And I think sometimes we, we just, it's not even that we forget it. We just take it for granted. And when you get to watch him in prime time like that, you remember why he's just the guy in those kinds of situations. Absolutely. He is a truly, truly special talent. That play, honestly, if we didn't have our answers already locked in, uh, that play would maybe warrant a game ball all on its own. But yeah. We've, we'll give him the top of the show. Also, just want to mention, uh, this is, we don't have to even like, I just want to mention this. Tampa Bay Buccaneers, 0-2 at home. Hmm. Not a makes you think. Not not a real thing. Uh, you know, Brady threw for you know. 50, Brady was great in this for, game too. It's hard. It's hard to knock the Bucks. TDs. It's his best game of the year. Yeah, and it far. makes sense because it's the first time they've had a receiving core since week one. But you know, I'll tell you, Kale, it wasn't fun. Wasn't fun to be uh, staring down the barrel of. Uh, a six-point lead in my fantasy matchup with only Mike Evans left on the opposing side. Uh, he goes catchless in the first drive, and then the second drive, he puts me out of my misery rather quick because – and Tom Brady's thrown that guy 30 touchdowns in 35 games. And that's absurd. Like, Mike Evans, when he's on the field, changes everything for this team, and that's why I don't think we should be overreacting to the fact that the Bucks are 2-2, two and two or the fact that they're 0-2 at home, or anything like that. Because they still, their offense was still clicking last night. Maybe you can't match up 100% with the Chiefs in pure firepower, but if that defense gets right, and if Evans is out there, I think everything's fine for that Tampa team. Mike Evans has never had a season under 1,000 yards receiving. The closest he's come is in 2017, when he caught for 1,001 yards. I remember on, that. I remember on that. Seventy-one well. catches, by the way, which is nuts. Jeez, oh, Mike Evans changes everything. Like I said, so Bucks are still fine. Honestly, all the teams that lost those games yesterday, I still feel fine about too. Baltimore, I don't feel great about their play calling at all times, but still very much a threat with Lamar in the fold. And the Jags at two and two. I mean, they can still absolutely win that division. They're knocking just, on that I, door. I, I, you know, four fumbles by Trevor Lawrence. Yeah, not great. First time in the 21st century that someone's done that. But, Kale, it was so wet. How can you expect him to hold the ball? That that one 
that one fumble he had where he just let go of the ball. Like he's running with it in one hand and it just whoop. Like, you know, talk about conditions all you want. Ball protection, job protection. Like, talk that thing. He's he's not there yet. He's made some strides this year. There's no doubt about it. I don't think the Jags' confidence in the fact that he's the guy moving forward should be shaken. He's still so unbelievably young. Uh, and, you know, somebody who didn't lose a game for like four years in high school and college combined is is going to be, you know, going through some growing pains when you get thrown into the league with Urban Meyer and DJ Chark in them. So I, I'm feeling good about Jacksonville still, uh, despite the two and two record and the fact that they are now tied for first place with a God awful Tennessee team that has no business being two and two. Uh, let's move on. Kale, I just, uh, I think we, we have some, Buffalo Bills kind of spillover talk from that game that you wanted to get us into. Yeah, so I'm going to be doing a uh, a deep dive on this later in the week. Uh, probably won't come out till the weekend. I'll put it out as like a thread on Twitter. Uh, but going into this game, uh, there's starting to be some rumblings. Uh, the Buffalo Bills, since the start of the 2021 season, uh, we're 0-7 in one-score games, which, you know, on its face, surprising that not only all their wins were by double digits, but just a lot of those things add up. Seven in a seven in a 20-game sample size is a uh, is a lot of games. So I just wanted to say, it, maybe you're a gambling person. Uh, maybe you're a person who likes to look at trends. The vast majority of the time, this is this is totally anecdotal evidence, but I'd say about 80% of the time that a statistic gets mentioned in a mainstream context in such a way that it begins to take potential narrative shape around a team or around a player Four out of five times, you can almost always guarantee that that statistic, that streak, will come to an end the following week. <laughs> like immediately once it hits like mainstream narrative status. Sample sizes in the NFL, Kale, don't know if you know this, rather small. It's the only sport where you try to draw conclusions off of three or four games and in any other sport you'd be laughed out of the building for trying to do so. For for I, I get it, but you got to work with that in the sense that, like, you know, every game can be broken down to drives and series and plays. Uh, it's the same way, like, you can look at an at-bat streak in baseball, whatever. Uh, there are just so many different ways that they, like, 13 seconds in Kansas City, uh, the Tennessee game uh, where they go down slipping. Like, there are decisions and things that build up to build up to that but i don't think even in the case of the miami game with just such a drastic switch up in how miami approached their desire to still get pressure on buffalo by showing six at the line dropping three of those guys back but then also rushing a corner 
like the Miami Dolphins in that game in week three ran a masterclass of uh, like inventive ways to create pressure uh, in a defensive front. I like all these situations can be uniquely chalked up to some, and there are other games where like the Steelers game to open the season in 2021. There's ways to do all this stuff. And like each of these losses can be unique in their own right. And some of them could still have like through lines, like bills can't run really well at will. Uh, Like they got some offensive line struggle. Sometimes they do some sloppy stuff here and there, but like in the grand scheme of things, like, no, I don't think I, I've still got to look into it. Like I said, but not a lot of these losses haven't had any like major correlation. Like, I agree. Um, the just to tie a bow on that, the statistic that Kale references, of course, is that Buffalo had lost seven straight one possession games dating back to the start of last season, had not had a one possession win since the 2020 playoffs against Indianapolis. And clearly, that was not like a genuine long term concern in the sense that the bills aren't a fatally flawed team because they've dropped a bunch of close games. Now this game, you know, Baltimore does shoot itself in the foot a little bit. Maybe the shoes on the other foot, just in the sense that the bills are sort of taking advantage of some other teams mistakes, but you, you knew that they were going to find a way to score on that last drive. And I think that's what it comes down to is it's, it's more surprising when they don't score on a game winning drive like they did in Miami last week than when they just methodically march the ball down the field, get the ball down to the one yard line, start taking knees because the victory is so in hand. That's the Buffalo offense under pressure. That's what we expect from a team with Josh Allen, with that cavalcade of weapons. It just was, it was bound not to continue. And I think as much as I wanted to, to sort of come back on here and sing Lamar's praises again, that game really taught me that this is still Buffalo's AFC Kansas city and Buffalo's AFC. Maybe you could argue it's, it's a back and forth type of thing, but I mean, it just didn't seem like home field mattered in that game. It didn't seem like the deficit mattered. It just seemed like eventually Buffalo was going to seize control and they really did. So big win for the bills schedule eases up for them somewhat moving forward. And we really could see, you know, a 16 and one 15 and two regular season. If all goes to plan. Yeah. They can still very much just take off the rest of the way. Like they are, they're a special breed right now and we'll see how these things shake out. But right now I, I have no, no concerns about the Buffalo bills. Will it be a hot take that we that we start to hear at the end of the season? Buffalo's loss was a good thing. We'll see. Maybe I said in the I, listen, Jackson. I said it in the any given Sunday piece. I said the last thing that Buffalo needs is to just be the consensus and universal favorite. It's it's the same way that the Patriots on the way to. I forget if it was the Rams or the Eagles Super Bowl, the later editions in the 2010s, not the ones early in Brady's career. Uh, but on the way there, Brady somehow found a way to paint the Patriots as underdogs and doubters. Uh, <laughs> he did the same thing in Tampa Bay when even then he, they were considered like a preseason favorite, even though they had the five seed. Inventing ways to consider yourself an underdog 
uh, is a special skill. And a loss like that to Miami, especially within the division, especially against a hot team, especially when you had a first-half lead, like that's the way to create an underdog narrative. That's what the Bills thrive off of. They want a little chip on their shoulder. Absolutely. But if we could step into the Patriots' time vault here, because, frankly, the only positive Patriots things this year we're going to be able to say are memories. Um, I I just wanted to – kind of bring up what you're referencing here because the 2004 Patriots kale masterful at creating the underdog narrative. First off, they, they go 14 and two that year, unbelievable Patriots, team. <coughs> but Pittsburgh goes 15 and one. So you can sort of make the argument that when they're going into that AFC championship game with rookie Ben Roethlisberger, with all the terrible towels flying, I guess they are somewhat of an underdog. Still playing a rookie quarterback. Tom Brady is still a two-time Super Bowl champ to this point in his career already. The Patriots' defense just takes them apart. Rodney Harrison with like the 99-yard fumble scoop and score. Patriots hang 40 on Pittsburgh. I mean, that was one of my favorite dominant Pats wins of all time when they just shut the entire city of Pittsburgh up in their house. But then they still find a way to create that narrative going into the Eagles' Super Bowl because Bill Belichick gets a hold of the Eagles parade plans. And that is just an all time kind of archive NFL, NFL films clip where he's like, uh, they'll start on this street and the Eagles will be in double decker buses. That sounds nice. Doesn't it guys just wanted to let you know what their plans are. So yeah, Eagles parade should be fun. Maybe you guys can go just a unbelievable Belichick moment. And frankly, like I said, There's nothing nice to say about the 2022 New England Patriots. So I encourage you to come back on here week after week with more great early 2000s Pats memories. It's about all we have left. (laughs) Not great. You know who does have something left this season? Seems like the Dallas Cowboys are cooking with gas a little bit here now, Kale. Now, Cooper Rush, we had a column on Football Outsiders a couple weeks ago where we were all asked to project what the Cowboys' record would be when Dak Prescott returned from injury. And we all had no idea how long it was going to be. There's reports that he might be back as soon as this week. Now, I haven't seen any winds of change blowing in that direction, but he doesn't need to come back this week because Cooper Rush is now 4-0 in his career as a starter in NFL football games. The Cowboys, with another dominant defensive performance, take down the Commanders and move to three and one. I, I gotta ask, you know, is <laughs> are the Cowboys back in the NFC title contention picture in a year where there's not really a dominant team in that conference? I worry about the ceiling uh, of this Cowboys team. Uh, although I will say that, you know, units units pretty much got Michael Gallup back. Uh, I, I'm they, they're putting me in a weird position Jackson you know that like just the teams that they've beat presented challenge to me like they it's a strange Cooper Rush, Cooper Rush has beaten was Cooper Rush a part of the Bengals game oh yeah yeah so they've beaten the Bengals Giants and Commanders uh, two two in division opponents, one of them slightly more competitive than the other. Uh, I'll let you make that discernment. Uh, but I'm, I'm leaning more toward the Giants, of course. Uh, but that's a it's a big Bengals win. 
in a time where the Bengals were severely struggling, and I think they still didn't really know how to handle singular pass rushers like TJ Watt and Micah Parsons. But they're three legit wins. I, in that column, said uh, you can wait until week uh, – their bye comes in between uh, Chicago and Green uh, – the games between Chicago and Green Bay, which I believe puts it at a week nine bye. And I had them at three and five with like a slight uphill battle to get a wild card spot behind the Eagles for the playoffs. But yeah, if they're going to win, they need to win one more of these games. And maybe it's Chicago. They need to win one more of these games before the bye, before their schedule gets way easier. I mean, I think you got, you can win two more. You could even win three more in a crazy world. I, I, I'm seeing a lot of opportunity here for this team. And then you're absolutely right. Once it, once they get through that at Packers game after the bye, they go at Minnesota, home for the Giants, home for the Colts, home for the Texans, and then, you know, some mixed-in tough games and easy ones the rest of the way, Jags, Eagles, Titans, and Commanders. So I see a path to 10-7, and 11-6, maybe even 12-5 and five if everything goes right. You know, the sky's, sky's not the limit, but, you know, maybe maybe the base level of the clouds – Good way of putting it. Good. Yeah. Listen. The very, the very bottom of a cumulonimbus. And those, those are some poofy clouds. They're nice <laughs> to look at. So I, I, I just wanted to say, you know, the Cowboys. You know, Cooper Rush is a fun story. He's definitely playing, you know, at or above starter level in the NFL for you know your average QB. But the real story with this team is the defense and. We have sung Micah Parsons' praises to the moon and back on this show throughout our time, but this team is much more than that on defense, and I think it's time that we really start giving people their their due because, I mean, first of all, this pass rush, with or without Micah Parsons, is absolutely ferocious. You have him leading the charge with four sacks, but Demarcus Lawrence and Dorrance Armstrong each have three, Dante Fowler with two, and they're just getting all sorts of pressure. They're hitting everyone. This wasn't even that impressive a week for the pass rush itself, only sacking Carson Wentz twice. But, I mean, they just demonstrated throughout the year that they're going to make whoever it is back there uncomfortable. And it has to be said, the secondary, which, you know, for better or for worse, is pretty much led by Trevon Diggs. They're going to get physical. They're going to get a hand on the ball. Diggs getting his first pick of the season yesterday and three other pass deflections. You know, there's there's a lot to like there. And this is the only team in football that hasn't even given up a 20-point game so far this season. We've got to give them some serious respect for Jackson, I want every mention, offense. Jackson, I do want to mention, don't say for better or for worse, Javon Diggs, actually good this year. He's looked really strong in coverage. He's not completely getting blown by. I don't think they've allowed like a particularly long touchdown the way they did last year where targeting digs just was a coin flip for a completely blown coverage. But he's looked sol- he's looked very very solid this year. 9 passes defensed. Nobody else in the league with more than 6. So, 
if he's and he, I, I lied, he has two interceptions. So my fault, not his first pick of the year yesterday. You know, there's <laughs> there's a lot to like there. He's he's a ball hawk, and even even if he still does revert back at times to some of his, you know, go for glory and get burned tendencies, I think you'll take that as a corner. Um, just knowing that the threat of throwing at him is always going to be there. I, it's, it's really hard to clown the guy when, you know, first team all pro accolades aside, he's clearly shown to be a very, very big asset to this defense at this point. Oh, absolutely. And this defense is good all the way around. Let's go on to our final point of the week where uh, I believe we needed to help settle the dust a little bit after uh, Kale's corner last week, which was admittedly one of our greatest moments in show history when Kale went on a 15-minute half monologue, half tirade about the wide receiver position, which frankly left our listeners speechless, newly informed, but also questioning everything they thought they knew. Uh, And I think in the time since that show, Kale's sort of wrapped up some of his thoughts into a little bit more of a a condensed package. So I just wanted to give you the opportunity to sort of lay that on the table for people. What is the conclusion of your epic wide receiver odyssey? Jackson, I, I hate to do this to you. (laughs) I, I promise you pinky promise you in fact, that I will close the door on the wide receiver chaos corner however in my last uh my last little takeaway from this week i'd like to open another before oh. i close the door how much do quarterbacks matter oh no no i'm <laughs> i'm i'm not being i'm being a little facetious here but that being said they clear like they clearly matter but in this week we've seen you know you talk about cooper rush popping off in a game like this and like leading a pretty strong uh leading a pretty strong Dallas Cowboys team to a 3 and 0 record without Dak Prescott. You see Geno Smith who we will get to in this show. Uh put together in general just a phenomenal season uh with the Seattle Seahawks so far. And again, we will get into those statistics but Trust me when I say it's great. We look at the Patriots not totally missing a beat when putting Bailey Zappi into his first career start, uh, also becoming the first quarterback to throw, the first rookie quarterback to throw a touchdown this year. Not Kenny Pickett, Bailey Zappi. Speaking of Kenny Pickett, you replace. Mitchell Trubisky with Kenny Pickett. While the Pittsburgh Steelers did not win that game, George Pickens, the guy who says he's always open, has his first 100-yard game of the season, opened some things up there. The Atlanta Falcons beat up on a pretty solid Cleveland Browns defense who admittedly did not have the two starting defensive ends, Miles Garrett and Jadevian Clowney. But that is led by a guy named Marcus Mariota, who has not put together a fantastic career, but has looked pretty decent, at least in a functional capacity within the Falcons organization. We hop across the pond 
And we talk about Andy Dalton, who is replacing Jameis Winston and allow a pretty solid campaign for the New Orleans Saints. I'm not saying these guys are all world beaters here, but when you look at it's the same, it's a similar conversation to what I said last week. There's a lot of elements in football that affect a lot of different things. And the quarterback position's gotten easier than ever. So, like, how, you know, if you have replacement level quarterbacks, uh, you know, how big's a drop off? Are, are, are we in a position where, like, offensive scheme has, and, and that, you know, I, I'm ignoring counterpoints like, Davis Mills hasn't looked that good for the Houston Texans. I'm ignoring the fact that Carolina Panthers just cannot seem to find a quarterback to save their lives. Uh, I am also recognizing a constant revolving door in Indianapolis is not the answer where Naheem Hines, actually, if I can pull this up. Good quote. Bless Naheem Hines for saying this. This was – one of the one of the most illuminating things I saw all week where, you know, players players can be honest. You know, you don't have to support the organization at all times. I've got this one up here. This is from uh, Zach Kiefer over at The Athletic covering the Colts. Uh, not an excuse, but every year we have a new quarterback. So each year we have growing pains while we sit here and watch Tennessee, which has had Tannehill, what, my whole career? And each year we're restarting and we have to turn the page. So that sucks a little bit, too, that most teams that we play have an established guy, but that doesn't matter. We have figured it out, and we will figure it out. So, like, yeah, it matters. Like, continuity matters and skill level matters. You know, you're not talking about Mahomes versus, you know, who's who's the replacement? I almost, I almost said Chad Henning. It's not Chad Henning. Uh, who's the guy that came in in the uh, playoffs? The guy that ran the fourth. The, the back. I had it right. Let's go. Let's okay. go. I thought Chad Henning was like early aughts quarterback. Uh, <laughs> Chad Pennington, you might be thinking of. No, I was definitely thinking Chad Henning, but sh- sh- shades of Dolphins Pennington, maybe. I don't know. <laughs> uh, but yeah, like clearly that like, you know, quarterback's the most important position on the field. But with offenses getting easier, with skill position players, you know, mounting up in skill and like actual function, like functionality, are there more? Are there more good quarterbacks in the league than we thought? I am going to take all your points and attempt to flip them on their ear and argue why quarterback is still very much not only like the most crucial thing, but my, I guess my argument here can be boiled down to good is the enemy of great kale. Even just competent is definitely the enemy of great because of all the teams you just named Atlanta, new Orleans, Seattle, the list goes on. None of these teams are going anywhere, you know, like they can, they can, bring out all these retreads and get some decent statistical games from them. Detroit's another one. Jared Goff's look competent at times this year. If you don't have the long-term solution at that quarterback, you're going nowhere. (laughs) And sometimes it is even just as simple as like bringing in a Matthew Stafford, who maybe he's not an MVP level quarterback, 
but he's still clearly got more of an it factor, more of an ability to win you games with his arm than any of these guys who need everything to be kind of just right in order for them to put together a game that doesn't, you know, completely fall apart. Geno Smith, I don't know what to make of him. <laughs> I, I thought through three weeks we had him all figured out that he was just going to be this limited, you know, pocket, not even pocket passer, but just, you know, dink and dunk his way down the field, maybe get you 200 yards on a good week. Maybe it's because Detroit's defense is just that bad, but he blew all that out of the water this week. Even so, the Seahawks are going at best like 6-11 and 11 this year is what we learned from that game. So, you know, I, I, I don't want us to be in a place where we're giving teams credit for stacking up these Mariota, Winston, uh, you know, Trubisky replacement level quarterbacks instead of actually looking for a long-term solution. And I think you're right to bring it up that Indy has been the biggest repeat offender of this year in and year out where they just try to find a stock gap instead of actually solving the problem. But even there, Philip Rivers was good. But they just had like other good things about the team that made you know the transition into. What would have happened if you put Matthew Stafford on that Colts team? You know, could they have that? They absolutely could have won a Super Bowl. Philip Rivers was at the very end of his career. That was that was the best Colts roster, in my opinion. That 2020 team, they had everything working for them except Philip Rivers. Yeah, listen, I'm not. I'm not trying to paint the picture that, you know, quarterbacks don't matter. But I did do a capstone research paper looking at since 2006. Like, teams are giving up on or moving on from quarterbacks with higher EPA per play numbers over the course of a 15-year period. Like, the replacement-level quarterback has gotten better, has improved, and it's, you know, it's guys like Jacoby Brissett who, in a one-off, will serve as, you know, a 25th to 28th best quarterback in the league uh, by EPA play numbers, which, bad, bottom bottom third of the league. But functional is all I'm saying. Is like you can have – I'd say we have – would you call would you call it fair to say that we have 15, 12 to 15 quarterbacks who are somewhere in the scale from great to elite? Yes. I think that's about the right number. Maybe on the maybe more on the 12 side, but I think so. I'd then go as far to say that we have an additional 20 quarterbacks somewhere in the league that are good to serviceable, which at that point you have all 32 quarterback spots taken care of. And you still have question marks like a Zach Wilson, a Trey Lance, a uh, Justin Fields, a Fields, a, a, an artist formerly known as Ryan Fitzpatrick, who was – Functional enough in single game situations or in limited stretches, but didn't have the ceiling to take you to an upper upper echelon to a playoff. Like the stopgap guy in new offensive system seems to be more functional than ever. I don't want to sit on this because it's it's a it's a small rumination. It's not a thing. I'm ready to like stick. It's like oh this you know quarterbacks don't matter. There are ten ten good ones. What I will say 
is I promised you I'd wrap up. Oh, baby. The wide receiver. I'm going to actually – let me just say one last thing before you get into receivers because I think that what we're getting at a little bit is that the stopgap maybe at times is looked at as like the safer, more functional option than turning over the keys to someone like a field to Wilson or a Kenny Pickett this year. And I, I think that should be discouraged because in this league, like bottoming out and giving someone a chance to prove themselves. And if not knowing that you have the, that you don't have the answer and that you need to go find a new one is better than what the Colts have been doing. And I just think that more teams need to follow I don't even know who the model is for this right now. Like who's the model of like giving someone a chance uh, when the team was bottoming out, but anything's better than like seven and 10, eight and nine with a stopgap quarterback and knowing you have no fix at that position. I'd, I'd push an amendment to that. Doing the Colts model of only doing stopgaps for an extended, what, four year period at this point between five, five starters in five years. That's rough. Yeah. Uh that's a that's a uphill battle for sure. But doing that continuously is a bad decision. Doing it for one year, fine. It's the like I, I genuinely think San Francisco had a good model. I genuinely think and not not every team is a Kansas City Chiefs where you've got not like not only the high upside guy in Mahomes learning but you also have an Alex Smith a serviceable level quarterback a Jimmy Garoppolo esque quarterback waiting in the wings but you know my prime example is like Zach Wilson Zach Wilson didn't have a fantastic game on Sunday but the biggest thing I got by watching the entirety of the Jet season last year and watching the film is you look at the Mike White game you look at going from four weeks of hero ball and Zach Wilson looking to extend every play, taking downfield shots. You know, the ADOT's great on paper. But, you know, when you're throwing four picks a game, it doesn't work. Then you look at a complete reversion of that in Mike White only throwing checkdowns and beating the eventual AFC champion Cincinnati Bengals. Like, Wilson learned lessons from by the time he came back, his team was, you know, he's going to Braxton Berrios and Jameson Crowder uh, as his top two targets because Corey Davis and Elijah Moore were out. But, like, he learned lessons by watching someone else do the work. When he goes in and starts on his own, it's a bad it's a bad time. Like, he, like he, he's, he's assuming he can do the exact same thing he did at BYU, and he can't. Having that stock gap for a singular year is valuable. If you have another guy in the room. Yeah, exactly. But having it as your only option is bad. I think think there's a more, like, because there's more good or serviceable replacement level quarterbacks, a Marcus Mariota, a Mitchell Trubisky, a, you know, Mitchell Trubisky. (laughs) Take him off the list. I don't think Kenny Pickett's learned a thing from watching Mitchell Trubisky. Yeah, I yeah, but I guess it's just more time to acclimate and more time to absorb information. But at the same time, I still think it's a viable option. All right. Let me get to the let me get. Let, to let's the do it. Let's let's tear off the band aid. Finish us okay. up. Okay. Uh, if you 
remember the talk last week, it was a lot of, you know, how much does a wide receiver one matter? They clearly affect the team. Their attention drawers, they open up opportunities for other players, but you still see teams function without a top wide receiver, teams statistically who lose top wide, uh, wide receiver ones, I believe do better. The lo- like the net loss of a top wide receiver is less is more valuable in the sense than the net gain of adding the wide receiver because of the other things you lose by paying them, but you still recognize their value. And you also see a ton of talent coming into the draft, not only in round one, but in all levels. Uh, it was a, I, I, I listened. I never listened to the pod admittedly Jackson. I had to listen to it back. I recommend you listen to it back because it, if it makes sense to me and I'm happy with it, considering how hard I was just rambling and trying to string things together. I recommend you listen to it as well. But in listening back to it and in ruminating on it, I did finally come to a pretty concise ending to it. Let's go. If you don't have a bona fide top 10 game-changing wide receiver, you're willing to pay $30 million, a Devontae Adams, a Tyreek Hill, a eventual contract for Justin Jefferson. Just start pumping picks into the position. Just start, you know, a first rounder and a fourth rounder, a second rounder and a third rounder. Like really take almost the running back approach. Build half your unit out of young guys. If, you know, you're you're basically just buying lottery tickets. If, you know, you can create, other opportunities elsewhere you can fill in holes and free agency but just keeping just keep pumping until you have the right like until you hit that guy until you hit that high upside receiver then just pick up one to two mid guys some Mm -hmm. older you know 28 to 31 year old wide receivers in free agency in the sense that it basically becomes a modified version of what we currently do with running backs. But singular wide receiver ones have actual win-shifting value, and it's it's in a position that can – like they singularly can elevate a team more so than other elements or pieces of the team elevate them. And two – this probably because of how many wide receivers you put on the field, how many times you're going to try and volume shoot on this, the availability of resources. It basically takes double the capital to run the wide receiver model in the form of the current running back model. But I think you'd have more success on it going forward. I like, the best example I can give of who's doing it right right now is Detroit, a team that's uh, like, listen, their their defense is a sieve, but you look at how they're building this team. Like they hit on Amon Ross St. Brown on the fourth round. That's a pretty definite conclusion. They've got pretty much a wide receiver one that they took 
as the 17th or 18th wide receiver in that draft. They're not afraid to go take Jameson Williams round one and put an equally talented guy right alongside him. And then they supplement that with a DJ Chark and a Josh Reynolds and maybe a Khalif Raymond uh, in years prior. But like you keep volume shooting on those, on those, you know, draft pick wide receivers. And then you supplement that with mid-level guys. I like it. It's a good, uh, it's a good concise bow to tie up what we learned last week. And the only other thing I might throw in as a wrinkle, maybe this is a bad idea because we're already running long on this top of the show, but you know, the, the premier tight end definitely throws a wrinkle into all of this. You know, the teams that have that guy can win, you know, even up to Super Bowls with, uh, with pretty mid wide receiver cores or receiver cores that just have like the one spunky slot guy or the gadget guy or the guy who can take the top off but can't do much in intermediate routes. You know, the Pats with Gronk and the Chiefs with Kelsey and even I think to some extent the Ravens nowadays with Mark Andrews. Those those offenses have a lot more flexibility in what they do with the wide receiver pictures than the teams that have. You know, even like a, even Detroit with TJ Hawkinson, like he's very good, but he's not on the level of these other guys. So I think the, the premier tight end is is the one wild card in all this receiver talk. It certainly helps, but, you know, the Jets are getting functional play out of Tyler Conklin. Like, oh, and they're another good example. But not, not to a point where they can afford to win games with, you know, just mid-tier receiver talent. Like, if they're going to win games, they need a Wilson or a Moore whoever they pick up in drafts moving forward to elevate themselves into that top tier. They're another good example. I, I, you know, Corey Davis might be a bit of an overpay, but like he was such a consistent go-to in that Jets offense in their fourth quarter comeback. Like, you know, like the is an awesome schemer running like Corey Davis running a whip route to get open and then immediately going to Elijah Moore on the sideline and then, like, having the option to, you know, run the ball with Garrett Wilson and do whatever the hell you want with him because he's such an athlete. Like, you just got to find that trio, and that's easy. Like, once you're there, you're there. I don't hate – it hasn't panned out, obviously. It might if they had a better OC. I don't hate the New England model of getting a bunch of guys that can do one thing well, but with just the – Sure, athleticism coming out of college football right now. Like you've got to just, you've got to just volume shoot on these young guys. They're all, you know, feels like everyone's running four fours. I love it. Hard pivot. Hard second pivot half of the balls. show. We're gonna get moving. We're gonna do this second half of the show in a breeze, so that the sicko boys can get back to their sicko cups of tea and bowls of soup. Game balls. Offensively, I'm going with Josh Jacobs. 28 carries for 144 yards and two touchdowns. Now, granted, you know, 5.1 yards per carry, that's not like your most efficient day. But I like a workhorse, Kale. You know, Derek Carr is not going to win you many games with his arm talent, even with Devontae Adams in the folds. The Raiders, if they don't win this game, their season is over, over, and Josh McDaniels is back looking for offensive coordinator jobs, maybe joining the stable in New England, um, 
So I think Josh Just the Jacobs, Island of Misfit Coordinators. Yeah. Josh, Josh Jacobs really kind of saved his fellow Josh's ass yesterday. So loved the performance. Infinitely frustrating guy to own in fantasy football, but sometimes it pays off. And yesterday it did. That's some Josh on Josh love right there. Mm. You love to see it. Love to see Josh's looking after Josh's. Yes, sir. Your offensive game ball. Gino! Gino Smith. <clears throat> he is he's doing things in Seattle, man. He's looking a lot better than Russ did. Uh, I don't know what's going on. But I don't know. <laughs> Gino Smith at the moment. Leading the league. In CPOE, almost lapping second place, uh, who by the way is Jameis Winston. No, but he is up in C- he's up in CPOE on Jameis Winston. Uh per uh next gen stats. Geno Smith has a CPOE of 10. Jameis Winston has a CPOE of 5.2. Geno Smith is also third in the league in DYAR. And third in the league in DVOA. He's only behind Justin Herbert and Pat Mahomes in DYAR. And only, oh, sorry, he's second in DVOA, only to Tua. Uh, listen, I get where early. These lists are weird a quarter of the way through the season, it appears. Listen, I get we're a little early. I don't think it's, I don't think Tua, Tua would be weird in years past, but I think where they're at at the moment in this offensive scheme and this wide receiver, I think we're starting to understand the Dolphins' offense is, in fact, good. That being said, Geno Smith had a special day in Old, in old Motor City. Helped hang 48 points on the Detroit Lions. Finished 23 for 30. 320 yards, two touchdowns, no inties, a QBR of 91.3. I just want to – I'm we're doing this on the fly, and I'm going to vamp for a second because I really just want to see how this shakes out. But, I mean, that is – that's special quarterback play by Geno Smith in a game that I don't know if we've seen from him yet. Like I that is definitely don't think we've seen that. If you go back to <laughs> Jets and Giants, Geno days seems unlikely. I mean, I I, I want to see if they have. Uh, I apologize for this. The I I, I want to. I think that might be the highest uh, highest QBR of Geno's career. I'm just frantically frantically going through. Uh, uh, what's it called? What is it called? Uh, it's called Stathead. Nice. It's called Stathead. Uh, sorry. Uh, I'm done vamping because All right. this is taking a little too long. That's fine. Hey, you know what? Great week for Gino. Not every, not every point is going to get made at all times. Gino, congrats on your game ball. Come by the show anytime. Defensively. We've got uh, some some guys with some ball hawking abilities to shout out this week. I'll go with Lamarcus Joyner of the Jets. The Jets had four picks against the combo of Trubisky and Pickett this week, and Joyner had two of them. 
one of which came at a crucial game-spinning moment in the second half, and one of which came to seal the win on the Hail Mary attempt. So maybe a little bit of a Mickey Mouse INT, but hey, nice catch, LaMarcus. Uh, Overall, four passes defense, again, tied for uh, first in the league this week with Trevon Diggs and half as many as the number one in the league has all season. So just a big day, big day for the Jets D and the secondary overall. And Joyner is going to be the one who wins out in the game ball department. That Jets defense is finally starting to hit its stride, which I'm really pumped about. It's we've kind of been waiting on it a little bit. Uh, it prior to this week uh, with the addition of uh, DVOA adjustments coming into this week, the Jets were last in uh, defensive DVOA and were especially struggling in uh, the passing game. But uh, per Arjun Manan on Twitter, I believe he's still a uh, an R&D intern at PFF. Uh, the Jets' cornerback room has really, really performed well. Uh, and it's a part – it's, it comes in part because of their safety play. Uh, this is for our Jim and I on Twitter. The cornerbacks trio of DJ Reed, Michael Carter, and Sauce have had 31 plays uh, where they've perfectly covered wide receivers. Having a security blanket like LaMarcus Joyner and Jordan Whitehead over top is so invaluable. Like, like just safety play as a whole, like having the security blanket of those guys just a little bit of extra protection to really let those corners play all out, whether it's in man coverage or whether, you know, you've got two safeties in the back solid runs, a lot of cover three. Uh, having those two safeties up top is, is paramount to their success there. So seeing the Marcus Joyner come away with a couple is a big, big win for big win for gang green. My game ball. It's going to another safety. Let's talk a little Jordan Poyer. Lost his buddy, Micah Hyde, for the season. And he has not really missed a beat. Poyer missed last week, and he's arguably kind of the reason. You know, it's it's one of those if, you know, if ifs and buts were candies and nuts kind of situation. Well, if the Bills had Bills had Jordan Poyer against that uh that Dolphins team in week three, Bills are probably four now, right? Poyer finished the game against Baltimore. Three passes defense, two interceptions. In addition to those, one of them, a game-saving and game-sealing interception on fourth down. Basically, you know, won the game for Buffalo and kind of helped issue that uh, single-digit loss or one-score game loss streak there so hats off to Poyer for securing that a yeah, fourth down need. interceptions kale usually not very important usually in fact kind of a selfish in the stat sheet play because normally if you just let that ball fall to the turf you're picking up the ball in a much better spot in this case completely the opposite when you're in the end zone you get to bring the ball out to the 20 and that was ultimately what killed the Ravens not the decision to go for it on fourth down but the interception 
because the point of going for it on fourth down is if you don't get it, you're still backing them up against their own goal line. Not if they get to just bring the ball out to the 20 and let Josh cook. So unreal job. And my Jordan Poyer anecdote, Kale, that man is the king of kind of the Northwest corner of the state of Oregon. Jordan Poyer's dad, a member at the country club of Astoria, where my uncle Gary plays golf, runs the place. Poyer family heroes in the state of Oregon. And the fact that he's doing all this in Buffalo, not sure what that means for Oregon. I don't think many Oregonians are heading out to Buffalo to watch games, but he's still making that state very proud. Shout out. Yeah, I don't know what that means. Uncle Uncle Jackson, the great kid. Good stuff. I've not, I'm glad I know that. Yes. Good old Oregonians. Let's yes. talk special teams. Let's do it. Um, For the first time in show history, I'm going to give a sympathy special teams game ball. Will Lutz, man, really almost pulled off the impossible. Um, I didn't think we were going to see a 61-yard double doink this year, especially not over the over the pond but those british chaps kale they love their football quite literally literally as it were um their favorite plays of the game are punts and kicks and if that had gone through after he had hit a 60 yarder on the previous possession the world frankly would have never been the same Cool stuff in that game. Great job by Andy Dalton finding uh, Olave over the middle to set up that game-winning field game-tying. Excuse me, field goal attempt. That was such a good kick, man. Half a yard, one little gust of wind, anything prevents that double doink. I wanted it. I wanted it for America. I wanted it for Europe. I wanted it for Will Lutz. Just wasn't meant to be. Also, horrible camera work by. Whoever was, you know, maybe, maybe like they don't have a camera well in the right position to capture the uprights in soccer stadiums, but I had no idea what happened to the 60 yard kick or the 61 yard kick until I saw the refs make their signal because the bottom of the goalpost was below the bottom bar of the TV screen, but double doinks, man, tough scene. They have to have a well, right? Just cause like. How do you cover uh, – they have to just because uh, penalty kicks. Like, they usually film those from head on. Most penalty kicks are – How do you secret kale a... crossbars in soccer? Lower than crossbars in football. No, I recognize that. But, like, unless they've got a cameraman on the field filming those because there's – when you're in a penalty kick, like, play stops. Yeah, uh, I mean, they show them from the – the side view penalty kicks, much like they show most plays in football from the side view. But in football, we show field goals from the back. And in British football, we show penalty kicks still from the side. No. Yeah. In in all Premier League? I, I'm thinking like... Oh, you know what? Game. Yeah, they show it from on the field, typically. You're right. They also is, do do it, like in the World Cup, I'm used to them doing it from the side, but they will do it nowadays often from the rear view as well. But Yeah, that's what I'm thinking. I, I am very curious to see what the uh, what the All-22 looks like from this game because I can't imagine that, you know. are they? Did they play this in Wembley? No, uh, whatever Tottenham Stadium is. 
Mm. I was going to say, I I feel like I remember watching one of them in Wembley last year, and it was just not a good scene. I, I we NFL has such odd infrastructure that they need to function. So I am curious to see how this one shakes out. Hey, there you go. Finish right. this up. I've got, I've got some some quick shout-outs and some fun returnmen that I saw this week. Uh, one goes to Marcus Jones. Uh, great punt returner for New England. Almost set them up pretty in overtime, bringing the ball out to the 50 on a punt return in overtime. If they let Bailey Zappi throw the ball at all, or if they, you know, run three successful run plays in a row, then maybe he'd get the game ball, but they didn't. Isaiah Pacheco, running back for the Kansas City Chiefs, also a good special teamer. Three returns for 90-some-odd yards. Pretty strong, I think, at a long of 42. Not going to him, though. Going to Mr. Wright, Matthew Wright to be exact, coming in on reserve for Harry Butker. Two field goals, longest of 44. Two for two on those, five for five on extra points. Chipped in 11 of the Kansas City Chiefs, 41 points on the day. And, hey, when you're in reserve for a guy, when you're coming in off the, you know, off the wings, you're usually expecting less than perfect play. And Mr. Ray was all right on Sunday. So he's getting my game ball. Hey, he's he's a lot better than Matt Amendola. That we can say for Amanda sure. Amanda Laura. Amanda Laura. Screw that one up. No, I'm pretty sure you're thinking Damon Amendolara. No, it's Danny Amendola, Matt Amandolara. Kale, I bet you a hundred bucks right now it's Matt Amendola, not Amendolara. Because I just Googled it. So you shouldn't accept that. Oh, bet. So just Google it. Wait, <laughs> it is Damon Amendolara. Damon Amendolara. That's it. Hey, now an analyst. Can't all be right. Not always. Like I said, not everyone's perfect. <laughs> Matthew Wright was game ball. Excellent. Uh, quickly, nice with it. Andy Dalton, 20 to 28, 236, and a nice red mustache under those black and gold helmets. Nice one to Kenny Pickett. How about that? Three picks, but hey, two rushing touchdowns. One of them was a heave, first off. Uh, that's yeah, we take that one out. We take the one out that shot. went through Claypool's hands as well. Tough scene. Didn't deserve to throw three. <laughs> Didn't look too bad, but hey, got George Pickens what he wanted. Pickens finished Thank first 100-yard game of the season. Uh, our long national nightmare is over. Pickens was open 100% of the time, according to him. Uh <laughs> He's finally found a guy willing to throw to him. Lovely. Um, let's do uniforms again, just breezing through it. The only good thing, Kale, about the Packers-Patriots game was the uniforms. <laughs> Other than that, I mean, that late window yesterday was upsetting. Like, there shouldn't like be allowed they... to only be three games in a late window, let alone if Bailey Zappi, uh, Baker Mayfield – and, you know, a horrible, just bright red Cardinals team. Like, if those are the things that we're seeing flash across our screen and that's it for three and a half hours, I'm upset. 
I don't understand the nine and three split with a London game. Give us at least four games in that late window, please. It did make it easier a process toward the end of the day because it was like I really only had to watch one game. Yeah, but that I that mean, they basically I mean you want chaos for seven hours. That's why we do this. That's that's what gets me going in the morning is is seven hours of chaos. And we had four hours of semi-chaos and then just kind of this lackluster three hours all building up to oh man are they gonna let bailey zappy throw a pass oh no okay cool guess are we not are we not calling that uh are we not calling that london game chaos because it was kind of chaos okay yeah sure so i like the london game i like waking up to it did we really need nine games in the early window toss one of them late i don't get it yeah is there something against starting a game at three o'clock in these central time windows. Cause every week it's like Indy or not the Ohio has, like, like Indy or Houston contract. or Dallas. They're always playing in the early window instead of the late one. I don't understand it. It has to be a contract thing for like regional networks. I don't know. I don't know why, like it's always so front loaded on the one o'clock. Maybe the four o'clock games are just a special little treat for NFL fans. Ugh. Regardless, um, Packers Pats was great. Um, I, I still don't get why the Pats only have one pair of pants nowadays. Actually, the throwbacks are coming out this week, so in that sense, our long national nightmare is over. But bring back silver pants at home. I don't know why that's so hard, but the road uniforms are strong and in Lambo with the contrast of like kind of your navy and red against your green and gold. Like that's four. That's basically like the four strongest colors just like all sort of laid out nicely next to each other like a color wheel it was very visually pleasing yeah it looks like the uh what are they called looks like Uh, a twister board in a lot of ways wasn't gonna say twister board uh what is the big parachute the thing oh yeah sure oh yeah all the kids flip up when you're a little kid and then you sit under it and you make absolutely yeah it looks like one of those uh my game ball, I love our little analogies, Jackson. Yeah. Uh, speaking of which, there were two games that really stood out to me. Uh, it was, it was all, it was basically like all color rush versus an all white. Uh, the more prominent of the games that was probably actually my uniform winner is Buffalo Baltimore. Two very, like, I love the Ravens in all purple. I really like the Bills and all white. I just thought everything kind of worked together there. The second game is Cleveland Atlanta. Uh, the all white with like a little hint of orange. The all black with just a touch of red. Jackson, if we if we return to the analogy at the top of the show, oh, we can't forget the brown, the Browns uniform. But if we return to the analogy at the top of the show, Jackson. This feels a bit like autumn. There's nothing autumn about those dark Vader suits that the Falcons wear. I'll just say that. Yeah, they've yeah, they look good. I don't know what you're talking about. Uh, I don't know what I'm talking about for ranking them so low during the uh, uniform pod, but I've come back around them now and watching them functionally in games against other teams. They are very aesthetically pleasing in my uniform bubble because they have won two of my four. They don't technically win this week. This week goes to Buffalo, Baltimore. 
but they've won one and a half of my uniform. Games. All right, all right. You have a, you do have a talent. You really do for taking what I thought was the worst uniform game of the week and making it your uniform game ball. So congratulations to you. Uh, the I other like two that I liked, the other two that I liked just very, very quickly were uh, Pittsburgh, New York, green pants for New York, and they might be my game ball. Black one, like right? Um, I, I did, the black pants specifically didn't like. Yeah, exactly. But like the green and gold or the black and gold versus the green, I liked that contrast. And then I also enjoyed uh, Philly Jacksonville with kind of like the teal versus the midnight green. That was a little bit fun for me as well. Almost picked that one. Didn't like it either, though. Uh, yeah. What I'm what I'm really circling on my calendar. Uh, I wish it was at home. Well, I'm circling is 11-28. Uh, Pittsburgh at Indianapolis. If this game was at Pittsburgh, it's uh, basically the uniform matchup from Dark Knight Rises uh, when the football field explodes. I thought I was going to make that comparison today with Steelers-Jets, but then I watched the scene again and realized that the uniforms are blue and not green. So There you have it. Let's move into head-scratchers. Um, this is, this is tough because I basically used this head scratcher last year. And the fact that I have to do it again is very indicative of the state of football in this particular city, but let's head over to Chicago. Let's talk about the bears offense. I'm just going to start things off with a little bit of a, a brief Tuesday morning reading uh, this comes from at Josh underscore Friedman on Twitter, um, who is in turn quoting a fellow reporter named Jason Leeser for the Chicago Sun-Times, who asked Justin Fields after the game, quote, why isn't the passing game working? Fields, who says the passing game isn't working? Jason, the stats. Fields, the stats don't matter. um so a couple things here one let's just talk about some of these stats first of all specifically for fields he is dead last in dyar in dvoa in e yards so expected yards um and then or excuse me no not expected yards back i wrote down yes effective yards so effective yards essentially meaning like how many yards are you producing compared to like the depth of like the targets that you're getting is that sort of like what what it's, i'm saying to it's it's dvoa converted into yards per attempt so yeah. it's kind of there so it's it's like it's very usage dependent is what i i gathered from kind of the football outsider's description of it but either way it's not a very it's admittedly it's not a very functional stat uh, and it definitely days. hurts fields because he doesn't get to throw very much. Exactly. But he's dead last in it. And he's not dead last in QBR, but he's second to last. He's only ahead of Baker Mayfield. Pretty much any way you slice it, he's been really bad this year. The Bears offense, pretty much any way you slice it, has been terrible this year. Have they scored? Yeah, they scored 20 points once against Houston, which is a bad defense. They, they just don't let fields try anything. <laughs> they, they've given him no opportunity. And when he's gotten limited opportunity, he's been very bad. So let's go to one other little statistical poll I had. It's from our own Tom Gower at Football Outsiders. He brings up the Next Gen Stats Aggressiveness Index, which literally just takes 
how many throws you had and or you, it takes how many times you threw into tight coverage and divides it by your total number of throws. So how, how opportunistic are you being? Yesterday, the Titans, Ryan Tannehill and the Patriots, Bailey Zappi, both threw zero times into tight coverage. It takes 15 attempts to qualify for the NGS aggressiveness index. The only other quarterback with a 0.0 at any point this season is Justin Fields, and he's done it twice in week one and week three, and in week two, he simply didn't have the 15 pass attempts it would have taken to qualify. So this week was literally the first time all season he would have thrown in tight coverage. He did it three times to very limited success. Yeah, the Bears' offense is just terrible. There's no... Like that that back and forth was just the the epitome of why things are so bad. It's the worst two and two football team I think I've ever seen. I'd much rather be the Seahawks right now than I would the Bears, which is saying something. And I don't know where they go from here. Uh, they've essentially just punted on this year because they know that they'll have Justin Fields on a controlled contract next year. Uh, it's not really great. It's bad process, and I wish that uh, I wish that he had literally anything better around him because it's a bad situation right now. I get, you know, I get not letting him pass when you're receiving courses bad, but at least try, you know. I have nothing, nothing hopeful to say about this team. You know, if you're if you're punting on this year, try everything. Don't try nothing. It's just really upsetting to watch, Kale. I didn't see anything from you in the doc about head scratchers. Did you did you have anything to throw out there to tease the listeners with? What was head scratchy? Jackson, we've talked a lot about this player in this pod today. I've talked a lot about this situation in the last few weeks. It's kind of in a damned if you do, damned if you don't sort of scenario. And I guess desperate times call for desperate measures. My head scratcher of the week is why this week? to start Kenny Pickett or to move Great on question. from uh, Mitchell Trubisky. Per the Football Outsiders Twitter, over the next four weeks, the Steelers will face the number one team in DVOA, the number five team in DVOA, the number 13 team in DVOA, and the number two team in DVOA. Those teams, the Buffalo Bills, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, the Miami Dolphins, and the Philadelphia Eagles. Now, somewhere in here, the Steelers had a bye. Steelers had a bye. Oh, no, they didn't have one. It's a long time, yeah. It's like not till November, December. After the – I I was mistaken. My bad. Making mistakes today. It's okay. (laughs) Uh, It was after the Philly game they had their bye. I get wanting to give Trubisky a fair shot. I get wanting to sort of ease Kenny Pickett into a schedule. With that being said, you basically picked the worst time on your schedule to do this. Maybe he gives you, like maybe you're deciding on the best, giving Kenny Pickett, they're giving your team the best chance to win by taking a higher ceiling quarterback and putting him in there, a guy that can run your offense. 
And maybe this was a bit of a dress rehearsal for the next four weeks. But we talk a lot about instilling confidence in quarterbacks and how that is not necessarily paramount to their success, but a lack thereof can certainly screw a guy up. Uh, Look at half, if not more than half, of the 2021 roster of quarterbacks taken uh, in the first round, uh, namely Justin Fields, Zach Wilson, and Trey Lance. This is just maybe the worst possible time you could have picked. You know, even throwing them, like, even waiting another two weeks and throwing them against Miami, or even throwing them in midway through Tampa Bay is a good way to do it. I I think this is the worst possible time. I think Mike Tomlin will have his first losing season as a head coach, which isn't, you know, a stretch of the imagination to predict now. I wouldn't say so. But this is just a bad, bad, bad slate to throw a rookie quarterback who you clearly had questions about coming into the season if you weren't willing to start him out, right? I disagree with the decision wholeheartedly, and I hope for the best for Kenny Pickett, but cannot envision wonderful things going against the Buffalo secondary next week. I Yeah, they should have just started him for this game if they had any intention of playing him at all before he was going to run into this buzzsaw. Frankly, you could make a very strong case that he should have just started at the beginning of the season. We talked about it on the FO News Show and a little bit on here about what exactly were you getting with Trubisky? Like what benefit was there to him over Pickett when he was never a good or consistent quarterback? Like, the feeling of stability was just never going to be there. You're going to create situations like the Pickens one where just there's clear dissent in just the first few weeks of the season. And bam, exactly the bad result one could have predicted. Uh, wow. Monday Night Football has not happened yet. It will have happened when the podcast comes out, which means that we are briefly back to our old tricks about Monday Night Football Niners, Rams, uninformed Monday Night Football recap. You only have 30 seconds today, Kale. What happened, Niners, Rams? Uh, Rams offense looks good. Uh, Jimmy Garoppolo puts up a mid-tier game. Not a great game, not a stinker, a mid-tier game. And Robbie Gould gets me at least five fantasy points because that is the difference that I'm currently down in my fantasy game with only Robbie Gould to play. Okay. Hey, that's hey. You know what? <laughs> Let's get it. Eight field goals. Why not? 24-21 win. Eight field goals. I just I, – listen, I just need points, man. I just need points. Take the points. Even a decent – like an extra point and a long field goal would get it done. That's all I need. That's all I need, Robert. Rob. What about you, Jackson? Where are you standing tonight? I – I want to say I like the Niners in this one. Missing Trent Williams is a huge, huge thing. Like that just blows up so many things that you want to do on offense. But then I think about the front seven of the Rams. It's not really what it's been in years past. There's not, I mean, Aaron Donald aside, there's not a ton of firepower there. There's not, you know, if if the Niners can kind of, rebound internally 
do their best, double, triple Aaron Donald, whatever ends up happening, set up some ground game, get Debo involved in every level of the passing game. I think they've got just enough to win this one. So I'm gonna gonna say that the Niners won this Monday night football game. Holding on for dear life. Absolutely. I'm out. I'm going <laughs> I'm going to nap. Let's go. Week four. Week four already. I am do we wanna do we wanna do is there anything? I, I kind of like the idea of us doing the old like, hey, let's look ahead to next week too, because we don't okay. get to, we don't get to talk to our viewers often, you know, outside of the occasional cover one, which I'd love to bring back soon. I we've got really we've got cover one. I don't know if it'll be this week, but if it's not this week, we'll definitely do another one next week. We love cover one. It was a very fun first show, and we've got many other good friends and the potential guests that we can line up for you throughout the season. So definitely keep, keep looking forward to that. But in, but just building off that, I do think we need to uh, give a bit of impromptu one thing we're excited about headed into week five. Cause Hey, we need some optimism here. I feel like there was a bit of doomerism on the show. I think there was some, some sad saps over here just trying to, you know, rationalize some tough football. We don't need to feel negative all the time. Let's throw a little, throw a little cheer our way. How about that? Huge. One thing I'm excited about, just to give you some time, two games. It's a win-win for the TMB pod, no matter the result of Detroit at New England week five. It's, you know, if Detroit wins, we're pumped. If New England wins, they're back on track. I'd love to see Bailey Zappi get involved a little bit more with a week settled under him because Brian Hoyer's in concussion protocol and the New England Patriots' current fourth-string quarterback is Jacoby Myers. So I'd love to just see Bailey Zappi be functional. On the flip side, let's get Amon Ross St. Brown back in the fold. Let's see how New England's Rain of Belichick schemes against the high, high power Detroit offense. And then on the flip side, what's going to happen in this Miami New York game? Two is already ruled out. Teddy Bridgewater, functional backup among the many. But let's see what Zach Wilson can do against a real good defense. We watched. A lot of Steelers go down last week. Cam Hayward, uh, Minka Fitzpatrick, as well as Terrell Edmonds. So they lost a lot of guys. And Wilson, you know, despite a lackluster performance, was able to do well. I'm excited to see all the exotic stuff that Miami throws at this Jets team. And maybe they could surprise some people. Jets sitting pretty at 2-2 two two right now. How about that? How about it? You buried you buried the lead here, Kale. We're sending our best. We're sending the three and one New York Giants to Tottenham Hotspur Stadium to face off against the three and one Green Bay Packers. Tickets right now, Kale, available for as low as four hundred and thirteen American dollars. Pack Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. Watch Danny Dimes cook. Nine thirty a.m. NFL Network for us stateside on the East Coast. Let's go. I just wanted to say. If you got, if you got a little more than twenty bucks burning a hole in your pocket, 
head down to TIAA Bank Stadium Woo! in Jacksonville, Florida, and watch those Jaguars beat up on the Houston Texans. It's going to be I'm ugly. fired up about it. That's the cheapest ticket in town. It is. And I bet you can get some funky alcohol in the parking lot of TIAA <laughs> Bank Stadium and have a rip-roaring good time. Something teal. That's going to make you wake up in the morning and not remember the score of the game. Uh, I bet those Jaguar fans have fun down there. I'd love to hear more from them. They're having the time of their lives right now. And they know they've got a guy that's better than Blake Bortles. So this is objectively better than the 17 slash 18 run that they made. So if you got 23 bucks, man, the tickets, Jackson, I did not. I've never really paid attention to the tickets as low as feature on uh, ESPN's little schedule page. This, we might have to make something. Out. I think I think we're really going to have to get down there at some point. Tickets are going to get more expensive if they're good. So maybe, oh, unfortunately. You, oh, dude, you want to go to a Jacksonville game? I'm That's what I'm saying. Yeah, we, we, we have to go taste the, the funky teal liquor for ourselves. Listen, if it's... If it's any better than the uh, electric blue raspberry Mad Dog 2020s, uh, I'm there. It, All right. it, it just needs – that's the floor. No maybe, promises, maybe nice, but we're going to try and make this happen. Maybe what a nice we... Mountain Dew mixy. Like Yummy. Baja. Oh, hey, actually have the perfect recipe for this. Uh, this is a nice little way to end the show. Oh, no. Uh, elite, elite uh, college drunk beverage. You go to Taco Bell beforehand. You pick up as big of a Baja Blast as they'll let you get. You then go to the liquor store. You get yourself some Malibu, some coconut rum. And you drink half that Baja Blast, and you put the rest of it as Malibu rum, and you can't taste it. It just tastes great. And it gets you it gets you drunk enough to want to go to a Jacksonville Jaguars. So <laughs> for the fans at home, hey, this is a bad idea. To have a spicy Sunday and watch some Jacksonville Jaguars take on the Houston Texans. It's a Malibu and Baja kind of day. Raquel, I am Jackson, and we will see you next Tuesday. Yeah.